for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Hello and welcome to Pet Chat, 11 past 12. We are talking all things pets today. And as always, we welcome your calls if you've got a question, 49216216. Welcome to the show, Cheryl Shaw. Uh, and Dr. Paul McCarthy, hello to both of you. Hello, Sarah. Cheryl, what are we looking at today? Uh, I thought I'd have a look at when you're buying a puppy, whether you should get one or two at the same time. Oh, the more the merrier, right? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could no, see no, the no. looks I'm getting right now <laughs> off Cheryl and Paul. Okay, so we're going to have a chat about uh, yeah introducing more than one puppy at once. Is mm. it like having twins? Fun or trouble, what do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Cheryl, we, we've been joking about this, you know, doubling the trouble, getting more than one puppy at once. Mm-hmm. But you've seen this recently and it can be quite disastrous. It can be very much not a laughing situation at all. Absolutely. And, you know, we have to really go back to the very beginning of what happened happens when you get two puppies from the same litter. Often people go to buy one dog and they feel really saddened to know there's another dog there that may be going to be left alone. Now, if it's a good breeder, they will talk you out of taking that other puppy. But sometimes, you know, breeders are wanting to get rid of puppies. They don't want to take on that, um, you know, that extra dog for a longer time. So they sell it off to you. Now, you go home with two puppies and believe me, When you've got one puppy, it's hard work, but when you've got two, it's even harder. Now, the problem is when you take the two puppies home together, the issue is that those puppies will bond together with each other and form this really um, very solid foundation of friendship and you will miss out on having any contact with the dog. Ah. So what happens, the dogs um, play with each other, they, they eat with each other, all of these wonderful things are happening with the dogs, but they're not bonding with you. So you're missing out on that human-animal bond. That's correct in saying that, Paul, isn't it, that they, they bond together? I think it certainly they do form a very close attachment. There is still a possibility for people to be involved in that process. Yes. But I, I think you're, you're, you're hitting on an important point, which is the dog needs to bond with you. And so they need to know who you are, what their house is about. And when there's two dogs in that scenario, it can be difficult for the owner to provide that level of information to that dog in a way that the dog gets it. Yeah. Um, I think sharing the, the dog... Um, sharing your, your time with two dogs when they first come to a home is a challenge, um, particularly for puppies and, and especially for puppies in the same litter. I mm. think that's a really important emphasis that you've made there, Cheryl, is that siblings are very different dogs than dogs from different litters and certainly from different breed types. And sibling rivalry can sadly end up uh, in a death situation. Yeah. So they don't bond at all if they're siblings. They... They, they turn they, nasty. Well, they may. So what often happens when you have two dogs the same age, the same weight, the same height, as they grow, there's no dog that thinks that it, could, it couldn't be the top dog, so to speak. And right. we do avoid that top dog mentality in veterinary science. But it, yeah. it's, it's about competition for resources. And if you've sized up your competition to be no stronger or fitter than you are, you're more likely to take a challenge on. Right. It's sort of that ranking that they, they're trying to work out who's really the boss and who can have what. And that's when that aggression and that, you know, that fighting can actually happen between them. And, you know, it can happen to the owners as well if they're trying to separate those dogs. Of course. You know, they can also become um, party of that, that fight and be bitten. And it's really difficult to socialise puppies when there's two from the same litter. That's right. 
And so this is an issue that you could have, you know. Meanwhile, you might think you're doing the right thing, having two puppies together. You think they're going to play, keep each other company yeah, while you're not while home. you're at work or whatever. Yeah, our problem is that when we start taking them out and about, they um, may not be necessarily very good with other puppies. So we've got a really... Or other dogs. So you've got a really big problem that they're going to look to each other to see what they are going to do. And then we have this issue of, you know, if you're at the park or the beach, that we could have a dog fight and aggression being, you know, sort of very forefront. Um, and it's also another thing, um, often when you've got two puppies together, they don't listen to the owner giving commands. They send tend to not um, engage with them so much. They're, they're busy doing their own thing. So, you know, you might be calling the puppies. One might be so distracted that it doesn't come to you so much. It, it follows the other dog. It's, you know, sort of a follow-the-leader type situation. Would you think that happens, Paul, with, with a lot of puppies? Yeah, I, I think you're right, Sure, I think there is that issue that um, if you've got your playmate there all the time, why would you listen to commands? Yes. Because you've already got your buddy there and you're doing your buddy things. Um, I think it does take a very dedicated owner to be able to get both dogs to listen at the same time mm. um, I think that's, a, that's, that's a, a job done by professional trainers I think most of us with busy lives would find that hard to get right. What if you've got the puppy it's you know say 12 months of age and then you want to introduce another dog, a That's playmate. Ideal. Absolutely, That's that the fabulous. Ideal scenario. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Because you've bonded. Very good, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. you have bonded and you've taught the puppy. You know the house rules. It's got you know usually good commands by that stage with you. You can do most things with your puppy at twelve months of age, and that's a nice time to bring another dog in, whether yeah. it be a, a puppy or a dog. It becomes a role model. So yes. you're and not so saying the other, the no to multiple dogs. No, no, it's just no, the timing. No, don't gra- don't get too at Correct. the one. You yeah. know. Go, go easy. So, uh, I will always have a house full. Yeah. I, yep. I love the fact that because I work a long day, I've got my dogs at home with their other friends and they're, they're being entertained by each other when I can't be there. Yeah. But it's, it's about making that, that connection Setting the ground rules first. So that mm-hmm. everyone knows where they are in that social group. And, and the problem with siblings in particular is that that can be a difficult establishment. So is it going to be that the, the initial dog you have is always going to be the top dog in that case or not necessarily? Like if you introduce a new dog 12 months later or whatever yeah, the case so, may be? So, so think about dog groups more as a social collective. Right. So there are dogs who form social groups. There's no alpha, beta. It really is if you're good at a task... The rest of the group lets you be the top dog at that task. Okay. So if you're really good at knowing when someone's coming, your job will be to be listening. You'll be the, the dog who barks first when the stranger comes. If you have a dog that looks like it's more likely to fend off a, uh, an attack on a walk, that's the dog that'll walk first in okay. the group. So right. the, the group have generally worked out what each... Um, skill level is and so the skill level dictates who gets to lead in that situation but it's not a fought for defence it's not you know I want to be the best at this so I'll fight you for it it's more a fact that they accept that that dog is better at it the problem with fighting in group situations is generally over what we call coveted resources where um, a particular toy or a particular food object or a particular seat or bed is so highly sought after that then it becomes thing that needs to be guarded against. Right. Um, and that's a different kettle of fish than having group situations where everyone knows what the rules are. Okay. So, Sarah, you'd be the person that go along to look at a puppy and your <laughs> oxytocin level would go, hey, I'm going to take two. So yeah. my advice is... Yes. Only take one. Yeah, okay. Just play it safe. I've managed to ward that off thus far. (laughs) I've just got my giz. That was, you know, 14 years ago I found him and wouldn't have it any other way. But, yeah, look, when you look at puppies like 
Owen. Now, uh, everyone can check him out. He is one of our Dogs of the Week. We'll talk about him more coming up, but he's a six-week-old foxhound cross puppy, and oh, I just want to squish him. <laughs> I really want him, you know? And you bring up an interesting point because of Giza's age. It's important to not always think that every dog will get along with another dog as well. Yeah. So if you know your dog well, you know your dog's been socialised well and does enjoy the company of other dogs, I think multi-dog households work beautifully. Yes, yes. But not all dogs can be in a multi-dog household. Look, and it needs to have that judgement made by us before you introduce a dog. It. When we're adopting dogs, Giz actually quite enjoyed the company, I think, and got. but he can do without it too. And, you know, because we're home, someone is usually home at my house all the time, I just think he's quite... He's quite content. He's going to live his life out as the, the only man in the house. Oh, yeah, aside from and, you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. We have Joy on the line from Ellie Barter. Joy, bit of a problem with your puppy or your dog. He's got some wind. Oh, bad wind. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and and I, I give her charcoal tablets mm-hmm. to help. Yep. But it doesn't seem to help. Oh, yes. it's it's bad. We we are what we eat, Joy. So what are you feeding her? Uh, mince, chicken. Yep. yep. With, uh, if I've got rice and uh, vegetables cooked, she gets a bit of that with it. Yep. But um, and dry food. Okay, so most wind is based on poorly digested fat. So your dog has more fat in the diet than she can digest well, and that's producing what we call aromatic gases, otherwise known as wind. Um, And so I would think what you might want to do is increase your vegetable component, increase your rice component, but greatly decrease your mince. And if your mince isn't cooked, cook it. And try and get as much of the fat off it as you can. So boiling it would be the best way to prepare it. So if you can reduce the amount of fat in your dog's diet, I think, and increase the amount of fibre and roughage, you'll probably decrease the amount of gas produced quite substantially. Oh, I've tried uh, boiling it with vegetables, even a matting of vegetables up in the mince, but she won't eat it. In which case she's not hungry. <laughs> so so dogs will eat for flavour as well as they'll eat for need. So if your dog is turning up that lovely meal, it means that I've already had enough to eat and I don't need anything more and I'm hanging out for something richer and fattier. Oh, I have a fussy chihuahua. I think you do. Oh, that, that's kind of beautiful. So, Joy, a bit of tough love. Perhaps. Tough love, I think, is what's needed. Oh, right, yes. I, I find... Uh, if she eats chicken, it's worse. Yeah, because often what happens is barbecue chicken in particular, all the fat from underneath the skin is cooked through the meat in a barbecue chicken, which is why barbecue chicken is so yummy, is that all the fat's gone Ah, through it. If you actually showed her boiled chicken breast, you might find the response is not quite so rapid in her wanting to eat that. I think your chihuahua has a a love of fat, so we might want to try and give her less. Good luck, Joy. Good luck, Joy. That's what my husband does to me, though. He serves the food up, and if I don't eat it, I don't eat. I you think know, that, I can't that fend should for be the rules the for us all, Sarah. Yeah, yeah, look, that's it. That's exactly right. Look, let's go to Sandra now from Beresfield. Uh, Sandra, you've probably been listening to Cheryl's discussion here. You've got two dogs, but it's the female that's ruling the roost. Yes, she... Um, when I put their food down... She goes and she sort of pushes them out of the way. I put it in the one bowl because they're only little dogs. I've got a long hair chihuahua and a puppy on. 
Mm-hmm. She's the papillon, and she pushes him out of the way sort of thing and gets everything to eat. But then if he sits up on the chair in the lounge room here, and, oh, no, she sits there and he jumps up with her. Oh, she is very annoyed. She's a real miss. Yeah, so, so certainly I, I would think... That it's, it's important that you don't let too much of that occur. So the, the rules have already been set down. So your male dog will already be aware that she is temperamental about her food and about where she sits. So um, it's likely that, that they won't come to any badness because of the fact that he's already deferred to her in those tasks. But as far as the food go, I'd really suggest you might feed them in separate spots just so that they never gets to the challenge that he is so hungry that they actually form a fight over the food because she's taking it all and leaving him behind. So I, I think in this circumstance, even if it's in the same room but at opposite ends of the room, so that they're actually getting what they require without having to be any sort of argy-bargy about who gets what. Ah, and she lays there sometimes and just whinges for nothing. She's a real... Yeah, so it, it sounds to me like she, she may have some anxiety issues herself, which is why she's guarding the lounge and guarding her food. Um, and that vocalisation might be heard manifesting anxiety as well. So you could talk to your local veterinarian about whether there's um, maybe some things that you could institute either medically or training-wise to help with that anxiety. But certainly make sure that every dog gets what they're allowed to eat because that can really cause some problems down the track. Okay, look, thanks uh, very much, Sandra, for your call. We're going to have a quick look at the coastal weather. When we come back, we'll go straight to Carolyn and Betty, who have more questions for us today. Welcome, Betty, from Bonnells Bay. You've got some trouble with your pup. Yes, hello. Hello. Some problems with your pup. Yeah, no, it's not actually my pup. He's four months old, and we've got another little dog that's a neighbour's, and she's trying to introduce us so they'll get on. Mm-hmm. But she's three-year-old, and okay. she and we're only doing it through the fence at the moment, and she just wants to attack him all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, so I uh, don't uh, know whether to let him together or not. No. So, so fences are a really poor um, uh, space to try and introduce two dogs. Um, fences are borders. Well, like he's in, he's in our place. Yeah, so you've, you've, you've got a borderline. So we never introduce dogs over a borderline. So your, your best okay. first step is that you would yeah. walk your dogs in, at separate, in separate times to a park area and you'd walk yeah. the dogs past each other from a distance so that they see what each other looks like, they can size each other up, they understand that there's no threat. And then as you do that each day, you can make the gap between them smaller so that they're being introduced to each other on a neutral territory, not on a disputed fence line. And you try and make that a very gradual response so that eventually they're learning that there is nothing to fight with this dog about because we've already seen that they're no threat. The problem with a fence line, and particularly if you've got a fence line that's visible but they can't actually access each other, um, can make a problem much more amplified. So try and do this on neutral ground in a gradual way. Don't try and make this over the fence line because I can guarantee you they will fight when they get together. So it needs to be done in a space that's, that's safe. Yeah, well, see, he doesn't go out. He's on the back veranda. He's never been outside yet. Yeah, so this this might also be... Uh, so, sorry, your puppy has not been outside yet, or the older dog? No, the puppy. The, the puppy. puppy hasn't been out yet, no. And how old did you say the puppy is, though? 
Yeah, so I would like to get him out now. Try try and have him exposed to his surroundings um, so that we can socialise him to the world. So that doesn't mean he suddenly goes to a park and runs around. He just needs to see what the world's about, hear what buses sound like, hear what other dogs sound like. Doesn't need direct contact, just needs exposure. He eats everything. That's the only thing when I let him out. <laughs> he, he eats everything? Yeah, wants to eat the leaves and eat the dirt and eat anything that's going. That's okay. He's just experimenting with his world, so you can let him do that. So how how puppies learn about their world is they put it in their mouths. Um, So he's just trying to work out what a leaf is and what dirt is. That's not going to hurt him. He's just Um, like an excited little toddler. Yeah, that's right. These are all new and exciting (laughs) things. It's important, important to get him out and about now so he does learn what the world's about. Okay. Okay, I'll do that. Beautiful. Thanks, Betty, for your call, 49216216. Now, we've got a caller here. Uh, understand you're going to be anonymous, but you've obviously got a question with a dog next door. Is that correct? That is correct, and thank you for taking my call. Um, look, the dog next door, it's a dear little dog. It's a cross between a two-hour and a long-haired um, corgi. But I, I only have to stand at my back for him, my back door, I don't go out and it barks, I go to my bedroom, it barks I go yeah. out to the garden, it doesn't oh. stop barking, the dog is lovely it's, the, the owners are the problem, I haven't approached them because they're not approachable, I just want to know if there's a high censored noise or something that I could get in my yard just to stop that dog from barking, because I like to go out to my garden of course. but I don't like to go out my garden when that dog's right at my fence well, he even got in through the fence one day, under the fence, and went to go for the plumber. Yeah oh. so this is a situation where I, I think sadly you will need to approach your neighbour because mm. there isn't any fix on your side of the fence, the fix needs to come from the other side of the fence um, mm. and, and the fix isn't going to be an easy one, so um, what, what has happened is this dog has learnt these behaviours that have kept this dog safe in its yard. If it barks at its neighbours, no one hurts it, no one comes near it, it remains safe, and the behaviour's been repeated enough times now that the dog will do this as a habitual response, not just out of anxiety. So what needs to happen is that the the neighbours that you have need to be made aware, obviously, that this is a problem, um, and they need to probably speak to their local vet about some ways that they can try and minimise the dog's anxiety and try and train the dog to feel safer in its yard and not need those um, coping mechanisms it currently has um, that are annoying you. I thought you could get you. something that would, you know, like you press a button or something and it stops the dog from barking. No, if there was one of those, I think I'd probably be a very wealthy man. Um, mm. There, there, there isn't, a, isn't um, anything out there that can do that for you, I'm afraid. Uh, How long has it been going well, on for? To- Oh, for about two years oh. they've had the dog, you yeah. know. So uh, I think and look, I, I get that they do protect their own property, but like they, the people on the other side of them have approached them and nothing has happened. Yeah, it, mm. it, it might just be that this is going to be a continual thing you need to do. This is this is about discussion with your neighbours. I'm I'm sorry. Mm, okay, let's go to Robert now uh, in Merriweather. You've got a question about multiple dogs as well, Robert. Yes, hello. Yeah, we were just talking about having more than one dog, but I just wondered whether their sex came into it you know, to make them more compatible. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting mm. question. Certainly if you're not intending to de-sex your animals, then absolutely. So um, male dogs who are undesexed are often more likely to try and seek a mate and therefore may see another male dog in the yard as a threat to their um, breeding abilities. 
The rules change once desexed, um, providing that desexing is done before they become pu- uh, before they reach puberty. So dogs who have reached puberty um, and, and have had either a first season or as a male dog have actually become hormonally active, desexing them may not change their behaviour. And so it's important if you do wish to have a multi-dog household, desexing prior to puberty is often a very good idea in making that house the most sort of um, easy to get along with. Um, boys somewhat are more easy with other boys in that they'll often have a hierarchy based on age. Bizarrely, we don't quite know what that's about, but often boys will defer to an older male without too much of a challenge. Multiple girls, in, in historically, I don't want to... I've got two girls in the room here, so I have to be very careful <laughs> how, 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 how I question, how I answer this one. But, but, but all female groups tend to have slightly more um, territorial disputes um, and slightly more guarding of resources. So it's, it's again, choosing breed type um, is important as, as choosing your sex as well. But lots of discussion about multi-dog households can be answered very quickly by making sure you ensure that your dogs are desexed prior to introducing them. Or, uh, sorry, once they're reaching puberty. And, and roughly what age is puberty? So most small dogs will come in at around six months and larger well, breed dogs will come in any time between that and 12 months of age. Most dogs have all reached puberty by 12 months of age. Uh, but we, we recommend generally, if you're going to desex a dog, um, try to aim for around that six-month mark, um, which means uh, you don't have the risk that puberty will come in sooner. Dogs who are kept with other entire dogs, so females kept with older entire females may come into season earlier than females kept on their own. Um, uh, so just or, or aim around that six-month mark. Okay, I've just got one other question. Sure. We've got a bulldog and he sometimes gets the shakes like he's got uh, Parkinson's or something. I just wondered if you knew what that might be about. Uh, tr- muscle tremors can be either metabolic or neurological, um, and I would suspect you would be best to have that dog examined to see which of those two it falls into, in that okay. tremors can also just be, I'm nervous and it's an anxiety response. But if it is a metabolic disease or a neurological disease, it would be important to get that treated. All right, okay. Okay, Robert. Thank you very much for the call today. We're going to go to Carol, uh, who's in Abermain. Your dog gets car sick, Carol. Sure does. Mm. How old is your dog, Carol? Uh, just turned five months old. Okay. So most, fortunately, for most dogs, car sickness is a fear of the vehicle moving and the fear of the vehicle being enclosed than a true car sickness. But as I, as I do um, add to that, about 10% of dogs can have true motion sickness. Now, fortunately, there is medication for motion sickness, and if that is the case, it can be treated. But what we generally do with car sick puppies is you train them to be um, accepting of the vehicle. So step one is you put the dog in the car, you turn the car on, you sit in your driveway for five minutes, you don't talk to your dog in a negative way, you don't praise any whining or any any complaints, but if a dog's sitting calmly, you praise that, you turn the car off, you get out. The job's been successfully achieved, the dog hasn't got sick. Then the next week or so, you might do to the driveway and down to the end of the block and back. So what you're actually doing is desensitising your dog to both the vehicle being enclosed and then the movement of the vehicle. And then each time it's successful, you then extend the time period the time after that. 
Yeah, she likes get, getting in the car. She actually gets in the car by herself. Yeah, perfect. So your your next step will be then is that we're going to do short trips as often as we can, so that she doesn't feel that she's being um, that the vehicle moving is making her anxious. Um, and if in the face of that desensitisation you're still having vomiting, then there's medication your vet can supply you for true motion sickness. Yeah, I read that you can give the dog um, like ginger or something before you travel. Is that right? I haven't tried ginger. The, the, the drug that we tend to use is a drug called Serenia, um, and it's an oral medication. But there, there, I'm. You could certainly ginger a try, but there's nothing that ginger's going to do negatively for a dog. Um, so you could certainly try that. I haven't, in my personal experience, ha- had success either way. So I'm not. I, I couldn't advise on that one. All right. Thank you very much, Carol. Yes, yeah, some road trips. Bit of ginger. If it doesn't work, maybe some more medication. But, yeah, interesting to see whether it is just the anxiety of the moving Yeah, car. fortunately, mm. motion sickness, though, is, is apparent in dogs, but it is far more likely in a young dog that this will be a behavioural response rather than a, than a true motion sickness. And even if sickness. it is behavioural, it can still jump in the car and be quite okay when the Correct. car's not moving yeah. and not associate that it is then going to move and that's get freaked right. out. That's right, yeah, okay. that's right. So often it's just um, getting the dog to have lots and lots of trips in the car gradually extending them each time so that the dog realises and not to reward the anxiety. So if you've got a dog crying in your car we don't say good dog, good dog, it'll be okay because what we've actually said is it's appropriate to cry. So we only reward behaviours you wish to keep. So you're better actually to stop the vehicle let the dog calm again and then, and then move on again. That's mm. interesting because it's such a natural response to go, It is, okay, yeah. We're, we're, right, we're naturally yeah. nurturers and yes. dogs are often reading that nurturing as a positive response that the behaviour they're exhibiting is the right one. Does yeah. that work with kids as well or not? <laughs> I don't have any of those, I so I can't, one, can't, can't answer maybe on that, that one. that one doesn't work. Normally everything you say for dogs applies for kids, but that one I don't know. I, I think, think you've still got to, you know, give, you know, a bit of comfort for kids. <laughs> I guess that when I see those children throwing themselves on the floor in the supermarket, I don't think they need Oh, you've got to ignore that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. You hightail it out of there. <laughs> okay, we're talking pet chat. Look, we've got a free line. We've just gotten through a whole heap of calls. We've we got time for a few more. And, of course, we need to look at our dogs of the week. We've got two dogs of the week for pet chat this week. I know. Look, um, introducing the first one. <laughs> You need to go check out these pictures, everyone. Head to our website, 2NURFM.com. Click on Pet Chat and um, our Dog of the Week, Owen. Meet Owen, a six-week-old foxhound cross puppy. Oh, look at that little face. <laughs> He's almost doing the half head he turn is. where, you know, the puppies yeah. do that turn at the head and they look at you as if to say, I'm sorry, what? Um, he's He's one of two boys in the litter and is a boy who knows his place amongst his sisters. We were just talking about that. He's got gorgeous soft ears, um, excess skin folds. That just He's a he's a cuddly little bunny. Um, he might sneak a lick too, so you might need to do some training on his licking. But his cuteness is just overload. So, look, go check him out. And the other dog of the week is Scrappy. Now, this is a handsome man. He's a five-year-old Border Collie. He looks quite regal in his photo. He's sitting on an armchair. He is. Uh, he's sitting up straight and he looks like a happy boy. He enjoys meeting new people. Look, I don't need to say it, but I, I probably do, and I will. He's a Border Collie, so he's enthusiastic, so you need to make sure you can cater for his exercise Absolutely. needs, obviously. Yep. Time for probably one more call after Peter. So if you want to sneak in, 49216216. Now, Peter, you're in Cardiff and you've got elderly dogs next door. 
Yeah, I do. Um, and and it's, I guess it's the question more of an opinion. Um, we, um, the owners have gone away for five, six days, and I was told that there'd be a few people coming to look after the dogs while they were away. However, I hadn't seen anybody, not to say that they hadn't been there, but I did a bit of a sticky beak and went around the back and they had no water and we've got these really biting flies and they were very fly blown their ears and they were like blood, like bleeding. Oh, jeez. they're quite old. They're, I think she, the owner said they're about 15 and 16 or 14 and 15. And um, anyway, I got pretty emotional because I've got two dogs of my own. And um, so I filled up their water and I just, I guess I'm just asking, you know, <sighs> sorry, I'm getting emotional. Think about it. Yeah, yeah. So who, who, who can Peter contact? What's the best port of call there to make sure these dogs are, are safe, Dr. Well, I, I guess we would like to initially try and see if we can contact the owners to see yeah. who, who they've left the dogs in care with. Um, and if they can provide the information, I guess we can call those, though, the, the, the people who are, are, are meant to be caring for them. Um, worst case scenario is if you can't reach the owners and you are worried about their care is that the RSPCA rangers can come and take those dogs um, and have them cared for at the RSPCA. Oh, okay. I just didn't want to overstep my mark because I've spoken to the lady and she did say a few weeks ago, because I was talking about these rotten flies that we have there and they were actually attacking my Frenchie's ears and I was concerned about it. Yeah. And she said, oh, she had the vet over and... Um, the vets said, even though they're quite old, um, they're in good nick. But I just, you know, they weren't. They in still a, need an water. They still need care. So I think, yeah. I think your your vigilance is to be, um, you know, accredited to you. But I, yeah. I think it is important that we find out who's looking after these dogs, and that someone certainly is doing that job. Yeah, yeah. G- good on you, Peter. So yeah, try to make contact, and if not, you've got to look, think of the safety of the dogs so. and and, yep. and take measures to make sure that they are being fed and Correct. watered and, and yeah. looked after. Thank you for your call and thank you for caring. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. awful to hear stories like that. Yeah, that's terribly sad. Okay, we're going to go to Jan now. Uh, hello, Jan. You're from East Maitland, and you've got a ten-year-old dog. It's a little moodle. Hello, darling. It's a little moodle. <laughs> And he is petrified of storms. Yeah. He always has been. Yeah. I've, I've got tablets I'll give him. I try not to give them to him because when he, he can't, when it's the storms over, it's worse. He climbs the furniture yes. and he gets oh, climbs all over me. Yeah. And, he, and sometimes I think he's going to have a heart attack because he just yeah. So fortunately, me. he won't have a heart attack, which is which is good right. news. Um, so generally, in a dog of this age, there's going to be very little you're going to be able to do to reverse the signs. Your your best option will be to try and find where your dog wants to go while the storm event is happening. Make that place as um, dog safe as you can. So if it's in a, a cupboard or it's under a bed or it's somewhere where we feel dogs often seek a den during a storm. If we can make the dog go to have access to where it wants to go and make that place as safe as we can for the dog, that's probably your best option at this time. Um, in the, At 10, the, the, the actual reversal of this would be not possible. 
Okay. Thank you so much for your call, Jen, and for everyone that phoned the show today. Lovely to have lots of calls. If you did miss out, uh, don't worry. We will be back next week. And you can always send us an email with a question as well, and you can do that by heading to 2NURFM.com. Once again, click on the Lifestyle Shows, go to Pet Chat, and there's a form there, and we can make sure that we uh, answer your questions first up next week. Cheryl Shaw, Dr Paul McCarthy, thank you both for coming in today. That's lovely to And educating us. I won't go get two puppies. Thanks, Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.